Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. Before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to make sure you make sure to swing by and sponsor Atlantic Brewing Company's booth during HomebrewCon. On Thursday, the 27th, post our seminar and book signing at 4.15ish. We'll be at the booth helping guide a massive experiment. If you want to know the results, come on by our live podcast on Friday the 28th at Country Malt Homebrew Group's booth at 2 p.m. You won't be able to miss us. Meanwhile, there's a growing trend. A number of folks want to enjoy their beer and, well, not get hammered. The problem has been that in the past, most of those non-alcoholic beers have left a lot to be desired. Almost everything to be desired. Can you make a low or no alcohol beer without compromising on flavor? Today I talk with Bull Shuflet of Athletic Brewing in Connecticut about how you make a brewery dedicated to the art of non-industrial, non-alcoholic beer. But first, a message from our sponsors. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to those uh, messages from our fine, fine sponsors. Remember, if you have any interactions with them, make sure you tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. And today's going to be a little bit different, as we said in the intro. Uh, we're we're talking non-alcoholic beer. That's right. It is a thing, and it turns out it doesn't have to suck. 
And so I have on the line somebody who can tell us all about, you know, how to make non-sucky, non-alcoholic beer, and actually a really wonderful drinking experience that we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, Bill, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody where you're from? Awesome. Thanks, Drew. Excited to be on the Experimental Brewing Podcast. Um, really a big fan and uh, honored to be on here. So uh, our brewery is out of Stratford, Connecticut. Uh, we are about a mile down the street from the Great Two Roads Brewery. Uh, so nice little beer community we have here in Stratford. And it's Athletic Brewing Company, right? Yep, Athletic Brewing. Uh, it's a brewery entirely dedicated to non-alcoholic craft beer. So it's a full craft brewery, 10,000 square feet, entirely dedicated to non-alcoholic craft beer, which I know, as you said, was a pretty crazy idea about two years ago. Yeah, I mean, when I first ran across uh, information about you guys, I was like, well, this seems really strange, but I mean, it's part of a growing trend and we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's get into the, into the first part of the discussion that we always have to do. How did you get into good beer to start with? Yeah. Um, to get my own personal journey at beer, what started in college, I went to Middlebury up in Vermont. Um, and I mean, just so many great breweries within a 40 minute drive of college. And then Otter Creek was about a quarter mile away from where I lived. So it was a real immersion in top beer culture at that point. Our other co-founder, John, his beer background is he was a longtime head brewer at Second Street in Santa Fe. So they were making widely awarded beers on the national and international scale, um, winning awards at the Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cup also. First three beers that I always credit getting into craft beer were Harpoon IPA, Long Trail Amber Ale, and Otter Creek Copper. No way. Yeah. I mean, we overlap on two of them there. I mean, I really liked Long Trail's Double Bag and like starting to realize that they're these great, stronger and hoppier beers. And that's that was at such early days for the craft movement also. And then I went to a wedding up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont and discovered Hill Farmstead a few years later. And that was, I mean, incredible. So yeah, my journey definitely started up there. Uh, well, it's not a bad place to start your journey. How did you make this pivot from sort of the craft beer world into deciding that what we really needed was, you know, a good non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. I wasn't actually anywhere even close to the beer world in my first financial career, in my first career, which was in finance. Um, I was working a very standard finance job um, out of, I guess, out of a lack of creativity on my own part. It was the safest place to go after college. A uh, very great, stable job. Um, it just was missing that fulfillment I really wanted in my life. Um, and then as I was turning the corner on 30, uh, I was trying to take my career more seriously, also trying to be healthier. I was more active on weekends. And alcohol just started to fit less and less in that picture. But as I slowed down my consumption, craft beer was no longer hitting those occasions. And on Friday nights when I didn't drink or when I went out for work dinners and stuff, I couldn't get a good beer without alcohol. Um, and everyone knows the current non-alcoholic landscape. So that's when it really just got the idea flow. And I was wondering if it is possible to make good non-alcoholic beer. And so I worked two years in the background on the idea before fully quitting my day job and teaming up with John and kind of taking this to the next level. Did anybody scratch their head when you said, yeah, by the way, I'm going to quit a safe, comfortable, steady job to go make non-alcoholic craft beer? Absolutely. I mean, even uh, so just over two years ago at the craft beer conference, um, pretty much everyone John and I talked to 
had no time for non-alcoholic beer, like less than zero interest. And in my whole planning stage, in my whole recruiting phase, it took us actually building the brewery ourselves and having good tasting beer to get any sort of interest. But John and I ran into dead end after dead end after dead end and couldn't get anyone to talk about non-alcoholic beer for years. Um, it wasn't until we were actually on the market that like, the conversation actually started to warm up a little bit. Well, I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, we've alluded to it before, but at least until now, non-alcoholic beer was always just kind of flat out terrible. The only one that I ever saw that was even worth a damn to me was uh, Bitburger Drive. And that was after trying a bunch of different ones. But in your mind, what was wrong with non-alcoholic beer as it existed? Yeah, it was just an utter lack of innovation and attention, really. Um, it had been the same beers on the market in the U.S. since the early 1990s. And most of those are from the 70s, even. So there had been, with the amount the world has changed since then and the incredible craft beer landscape, it just, the category hadn't evolved to meet modern tastes yet. Um, that is totally the opposite of what you referenced Bitburger, but what was going on on the other, in other continents. The European non-alcoholic beer landscape is very strong, and there are tons of offerings to meet every kind of style out there. And then in the other direction, in Asia, there a lot of the craft beer launches in Asia are non-alcoholic beer. So it was just, it totally missed the U.S., and there was no innovation happening here yeah that really is the lack of innovation and attention is exactly why there were no good offerings out there it's also the methods too i mean it's there just been no thought into even trying to improve it make it more approachable from a marketing standpoint upgrade the ingredient quality like none of the above well and let's dig a little bit into methods because i mean historically speaking yeah you're right all the all the non-alcoholic or low alcohol alcohol free beers that we see here in the US. And let's let's be clear about this. You know, here in the US that means it's a beverage that has less than 0.5% ABV. It's, it's not necessarily 100% alcohol free, but it's it's basically the same range as like fruit juice that you've let sit for a little too long. Even like a lot of bread has so it's a common misconception is how many foods in the kitchen have alcohol. Like you see people eating a sandwich or having a banana and they're like is that 0.0? And we're like, no, it has like trace amounts of alcohol. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm good then. But like their sandwich might have more alcohol in it than our beer does. So there's a lot of fermented foods in the kitchen. Uh, I mean, the below 0.5 is just the FDA standard where it's like such a negligible amount of alcohol. Yeah, so it's like a kombucha or fruit juice or something like that. If you wanted to get drunk off a non-alcoholic beer, you'd set yourself a real Herculean task. It's like some ridiculous consumption rate. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's possible. I think you digest the amount of alcohol in an alcoholic beer in like three minutes. So you'd have to drink ten to equal a core's light, but you'd have to be drinking it at faster than like ten beers every couple minutes. So yeah. Well, and so let's talk a little bit about the methods. You know, like they've historically existed at least, because to my mind there's always been this thing where non alcoholic beers, at least the ones I've had, have always felt overcooked. And, you know, and really sort of destroyed in the flavor. And a lot of that has to do with the the ways that things have been being done, which is effectively removing the alcohol from a fermented beer via sort of a low temperature boil. 
So the traditional methods are all fairly industrial and pretty aggressive to the ingredients. Um, and typically also, like, there hasn't been high ingredient quality in these beers or thought as well, which also hurts from, like, from the get-go. Um, the most common industrial technique is burning off the alcohol or some sort of uh, distillation, which inherently makes it achieving and capturing hop aromas very difficult. It's really nice when you can make a beer that has its naturally fermented aromas in it. Um, and if if these are burnt off or attempted to be reinserted in their burnt off state, it's it definitely can have like the earmarks of like a different funkiness that's not as desirable in beer. And a lot of these technologies have been done to be cost effective and on a very industrial scale. And so they're more aggressive inherently also. The other elements of technologies involve either aggressive filtering through reverse osmosis processes, technologies that involve some element of dilution or dilution and blending and other processes involve almost making beer from concentrate, brewing a beer, distilling it down to solid ingredients, making it very concentrated, and then re-diluting it back up to the strength that's desired. And all of these, uh, they're effective in, to some extent, obviously, as people have invested a lot of time and money into them. But our baseline was that every one of these processes had negative effects on the ultimate beer quality and actually being able to capture the effects of a full fermentation in the final glass. And we thought they all really had a ceiling to them. So we kind of took it back to a baseline where we didn't want to have an industrial process like that at the end of the line. Um, and we really wanted to make a beer that really, when we fermented to the final resting and conditioning state, that that was a fully fermented beer that we'd be able to package. And we wanted the ingredients to be in the form they're meant to be in and not be adulterated at all and not affected by any unnatural process there. So that's kind of the baseline we step back to. Can you give us like a, a high level overview of what you what you do? So, yeah, it's uh, there is some level of proprietariness to our process, as I think we think we're the only ones making non-alcoholic beer in this fashion. Yeah. John and I went back to the textbook level with that as a baseline thought that we didn't want to dealkalize and adulter the final product and have to we did mess around with all sorts of gentle burning and or dilution and blending and didn't like the effects of any of those on our final product. So we really went back to the textbook level and we were looking into how can we brew, change natural elements, change our equipment to make a lot of small changes, but still ferment to under 0.5%, but not miss out on all the esters and compounds that come with a full fermentation and be able to undergo diacetyl rest and like let the beer clean itself up and condition. So we came up with a process where like John and I, just two guys who had quit their day jobs doing this full time, which was a huge leap on his part and my part, really his part. And John and I homebrewed in an empty warehouse for about nine months, definitely over a hundred batches. We started with our baseline case, what we think, how we thought things would act in a series of changes. And then really just like the scientific method, we'd change one variable each iteration, see what the final effect was, and just brewing on Gatorade jugs, K 
came to our final process. At any given point, we'd have 10 different carboys fermenting away in the warehouse, and we'd brew a couple more batches each day. Well, I was going to ask, how many iterations do you think you went through? Oh, tons. 30 plus before it started tasting like good beer. Um, We iterated on our golden ale recipe just so it was like really clean, crisp, and you could tell like what any of the imperfections were in the process there. A while down the line, we started to work into IPAs and stuff that hid process imperfections a lot more. But yeah, it's a the process we arrived at isn't it's not a single magic bullet where our process is different from a traditional brewing process where there's just like everything's the same and it there's a dealkalization step or everything is the same in the beginning or everything is different in the beginning and then continues out the same. We have probably about 12 to 15 different changes versus the traditional brewing process and they're all natural. It's not a chemical or preservative um, situation. Yeah, we just control natural variables to fully ferment to under 0.5%. And it's not even like a single step where it's different. These changes are all different in the mash town, lauder town, whirlpool and fermenters. So it's really once you get to that point where our food safety program also kicks in. John and I had really thought that coming up with our process was going to be the biggest challenge. Unfortunately, food safety in non-alcoholic beer is a very real challenge. We both got different food safety certifications, and we have a lot of control points in our process to make sure that we have shelf-stable product going out the door that without alcohol as a preservative, non-alcoholic beer can be a very dangerous product. We talk about that you know, hops and alcohol are both preservatives. So that was one of the things I was curious about because and you sent me a, a whole pack of you know really nicely packaged cans and we'll get to those in a second. And the one thing that immediately occurred to me was like, man, you've got to be really careful about everything because there's nothing to protect you from bacteria or anything else that could get into the, or other contaminants that could get into the process. So there are all different critical critical controls and specs that we have to fall within. They're diligently recorded. Um, That's everything from sanitation is way over the top in our brewery to pH at different times, needing to be in a very tight specific zone to making sure that your end of the line process and packaging is like very on point. Um, Otherwise you can end up with real problems down the line, especially because they are the traditional non-alcoholic beer drinking populations are very sensitive also. Even even more important. Before we get into the beers, one of the things I did want to ask about, I mean, you talked about like all these changes that you had to make. One of the things I always think about is when I talk judging or you know tasting, that ethanol does play a flavor role in the beer. It changes mouthfeel, you know, changes sweetness levels and does add heat to the final product. Did you guys have to make adjustments for that in order to kind of get these things to taste more like beer beer um for sure and i think the fact that we're doing a full fermentation and not removing the byproducts definitely helps with that because it, it could be a whole spectrum around the ethanol also that helps there are definitely styles where ethanol plays a very important role and we don't necessarily go for those like an imperial stout and 10 percent plus abv styles in the lower alcohol styles um it, they really there are a lot of situations where ethanol may or may not be a positive towards the blend of ingredients in the package. 
in some instances, it's kind of nice to really taste the flavor of all organic grains and fresh hops and without the impact of ethanol. Uh, we do brew all our styles to the traditional final gravity so that we're mimicking the mouthfeel as best we can there. And so, yeah, we hope they're a very close mimic and they have done well at different times against both alcoholic and non-alcoholic beers in different beer festivals and contests. Well, that's great. And I think that's a perfect time for us to go break into actually doing some tasting. So while I'm uh, while I'm getting ready to open up some cans of beer here, how many different varieties do you have? Because you sent me four different beers. Um, we've brewed all sorts of pilot batches in our uh, that we just sell in the tap room and scale up what people like. We've definitely sold over ten beers in our tap room. I'd say yeah. over the what two years of operation? Uh, no, we just passed one year. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, and I have before me uh, a can of Upside Dawn. Uh, what can you tell the audience about the Upside Dawn? Um, so that's our golden ale. It's super light, crisp, refreshing. Um, it's only 50 calories. Um, it's meant to be very subtle, but definitely has a touch of hoppiness to it. All organic malt, um, a combination of English and American hops um, from the Pacific Northwest, Cascade, EKG, um, and a few others. I was going to say, I mean, the, the hoppiness screams out of the glass. So, and yeah, I mean, so it feels like a lot of dry hop, but also a, a, a fairly nice back end bittering charge. I mean, to me, it's impressive because, yeah, I mean, you get some of those English hops and you get some of those American hops in the nose, you know, a little bit of the fruit, a little bit of the grassiness, herbal characters. There's just that the, that little touch of, of tea-like uh, hop aroma in the back. But then beautiful bouncy carbonation, a nice little minerality to it. Um, you get that kind of a uh, little bit of corniness from the malt, a little bit of that, that fresh grain character. And then as you get into the back end, um, a little bit of acidity a little bit of carbonic bite and then uh, a nice little you know hop to dry it off and the, uh, to go away i mean if if somebody handed this to me and, and and just gave it to me i'd be like oh okay this is just kind of a nice hoppy blondale without even thinking about without even thinking about what alcohol level it is or anything else i might get about two in and then go hey wait a second yeah um if the placebo effect doesn't get you first mhm but that's exactly what we're going for. We, we're definitely hoping that people have and enjoy our beers and don't feel like they're compromising at all. It's the experience you just described is we want people to undergo a bit of complexity in our beers and feel confident about what they have in their hand and just be excited about the taste um, and have a very refreshing, crushable beer. Well, and you alluded to, I mean, there are a couple of reasons to want this. I mean, one you know, it's 50 calories. This makes it as like a nice, refreshing afternoon beverage I can have without feeling, you know, bad about what I'm doing in my diet. But I assume there's also for the non-alcoholic market, which frankly seems to be attracting a lot of interest right now, uh, that there are all those aspects that you're talking about, like some of the social aspects, like it's good to be able to go hang out with friends and have something in hand where, you know, you don't feel like you're being the party downer or that you're really missing out. For sure. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going for. And we're going for like well beyond the medical and penalty box reasons for drinking non-alcoholic beer. We just want everyday people to have something they're excited about um, for all those. Like we love craft beer as a company. We think it's got a great spot in the world and society. 
we just think it could be reaching so many more occasions in everyone's life. If there was a good beer you could have during the week and feel good the next day, you know? Yeah. And I mean, for me, I'm always super busy during the week, so I don't actually, I don't actually have a lot of time to, you know, enjoy some beers during the week. I have too many obligations going on. So yeah, this would be nice just to be able to sit down in the backyard and have a, have a beer without having to deal with any of the, the downstream consequences to the rest of the stuff I got to do. Oh, for sure. Yep. All right. So that was the upside down. Let's get, now you said, uh, the next one that we're going to try the run wild, that's your, your company's flagship and it's your, your non-alcoholic IPA. We like to think of it as just a super sessionable IPA. Um, it's a fully brewed IPA to under 0.5%. Um, it's also made from organic malt. It's got a backbone of organic Vienna malt in the hop blend. It's all from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, some juicier hops and citron mosaic. But we tried to make the hop bill very approachable also so that if people weren't as up to speed on the craft beer movement the past five years, that they wouldn't be blown away with a palate smashing hoppiness. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's meant to be just a very crushable session IPA, almost leaning towards like the American pale side. Yeah, I was going to say, I, get, I do get that that toastiness from the Vienna and then the big fruit nose, you know, combining like the those tropical fruit aromas that particularly you get out of Citra. And again, a lot of dry hop character. So a little bit of that that kind of grassy, uh, grassy thing going on there. What's interesting to me is that for the IPA, as opposed to the upside down, is that like I actually get, I think, more of an overt hop bite in the back end of the upside down than I did in the uh, here in the run wild. Oh, you're right. It's it's that IPA experience, that light IPA experience, not not the. I mean, it's not going to be like a Sierra Nevada. It's not going to be like Pacific Northwest, like punch you in the face, IPA for this, which is perfectly fine. The way you described the golden ale hoppiness uh, as being a little bit more potent is something we get a lot, and we definitely intentionally made the golden ale a bit hoppier than traditional golden ales, just because. In the similar non-alcoholic styles, most of those are lagers, and we like clearly wanted to be craft there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree with everything you said there for sure. Yeah, and again, I mean, this falls into that range of I would I'd be perfectly happy to sit down and and you know keep drinking this uh, uh, you know for like the rest of the day. It's a nice a nice little actual post lawnmower beer. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, it's exactly what we're going for. Let me ask. I mean, these both these both exhibit a lot of malt and a lot of a lot of hop characteristics. I, I think those are things that you are purposely pushing forward. Is there anything that you 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 said? That, okay, I'm not going to try and go for like an imperial stout or something that has a big ethanol uh, character to it. Is there anything else that you guys are still trying to crack the nut on that you haven't gotten to yet? Well, we're definitely always working on different recipes. We did brew a Hefeweizen about. Uh, a year and a half ago and we were pretty happy with that but we want to really dial in on that and try to get a bit more of the yeast character we can accomplish like the wheat elements of the beer we recently we just brewed another batch of that last week so we're excited to see how that comes out and kind of dig into it over the summer so that's going to be one of our next pilot batches available at the brewery and online we have not been able to figure out the science with um barrel aging or barrel aging either sours or like a bourbon barrel aging where there's a cask or anything like that because in non-alcoholic the thought of putting something in a cask with like the character of the wood and the unknown 
is just way too terrifying. It might be something down the road, but there's so many styles that lead themselves towards light and sessionable that we're really digging into those. One of our more recent beers is uh, we're having it goes on tap this summer also. So we just put out our second batch in the brewery last week, but that has notes of sea salt, coriander, and lime life. Sorry, lime leaf. And uh, it's been really fun to like see people's reaction to having a sour in a non-alcoholic brewery. To my mind, that almost would get into that sort of perfect summer refreshing soda that isn't soda. Oh, for sure. It's uh, And John's done an incredible job with that beer. How much volume are you guys doing on a, on a single batch? Uh, we have a, so we have a pilot system that's three and a half barrels. And then we have uh, our main brew house is a 20 barrel brew house, but we double batch into 40 at 40 barrel fermenters. But we have some significantly bigger tanks on the way as well. Nice. So, I mean, that obviously shows there's a, there's an interest in this sort of product and, and being able to live in this sort of world and still get those flavors. Cause I know you guys also had a double hop IPA that you sent me as a seasonal that was, uh, um, even more uh, hop forward than I think the the golden, and then the the other one. I think the first one I actually cracked into was the the copper ale lager, the Cervecia Athletica that you that you released. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's our summer seasonal. It's a Mexican style copper ale. Yeah, meant to be kind of like a fun Mexican lager type summer beer. It's really rich and refreshing. I have to say, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast non-alcoholic beer has always been so disappointing and there have been a lot of times where it'd be just great to have some beer flavor but without any of the the add-on effects and getting a chance to try these i mean this is really heartening because this is a lot of the flavors that i really like in a beer and you know i'm still able to go off and do all the stuff i need to do and just enjoy it oh thank you very much really appreciate that uh, anything else that people should know about Athletic before we uh, before we call it a day and go have a beer? I think the best way to track things in real time is just our Instagram handle, Athletic Brewing. Um, there's always fun stuff going on. The great thing is we can sell our beer online. So we ship nationwide for free with free shipping. Um, we announce all our limited releases online. Yeah, and we're growing to try to keep up, but we really appreciate the community that's emerged out here. I think this is a great I think it's fascinating that we can actually have good non-alcoholic beer. Um, and I really can't wait to see where this segment of the industry goes. People who've listened to the podcast for a long time know that I've, I've been pushing sessionable ales for a good long time. Because you know, I, I feel like you can get a lot of beer flavor without necessarily having to have a lot of alcohol. So this is really fascinating to me to see, you know, even taking that a step further. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's. I think that's a very modern outlook. Um, there are definitely alcohol occasions, but then the other occasions, people really want to feel good and have their wits about them. Yeah, folks, I'm not kidding. If you guys really do want to have that experience, go and find yourself some athletic uh, brew. I think you guys ship, and not only do you ship online, but you, I mean, you distribute as well. Yep. Yeah, we go, we're super deep in all the New England states, and then we ship online everywhere else. Um, and we're in stores like Total Wine nationwide as well. Perfect. So go check your Total Wine, go check athleticbrewing.com, and uh, give this a shot. I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Thank you so much, Drew. Really appreciate you having us on the Experimental Brewing Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at non-alcoholic beer that doesn't actually suck. It's a novel concept, and obviously one still shrouded in experimentation and secrecy, but I'm happy to say that the beers from Athletic that I got to try were pretty damn good. 
In fact, they were better than some of the beers I've had from earnest locals looking for neighborhood support with the aid of ethanol. What do you think about the world of non-alcoholic beer? Is it a thing for you? A curiosity? Or are you intrigued enough to go see if you can't crack the mystic incantations needed to make a decent beer? Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum known out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA Brewswag.com code word experimental, Amazon Brewer Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, it's wrapping up just about now, is Wings of Rescue a private pilot's organization dedicated to flying shelter animals from shelters where they're likely to be euthanized to shelters where they're likely to be adopted. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, who invites you to attend HomebrewCon this June 27th to June 29th in Providence, Rhode Island. HomebrewCon brings 3,000 homebrewers together for three days of brewing, seminars, nighttime events, and camaraderie. HomebrewCon is also the leading showcase of brewing supplies and equipment. Visit homebrewcon.org to learn more. 